Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph will continue his message entitled, Better to Love Than to Like. And now let's join Pastor Ralph for part two. Well, let's take a look at Philippians and see what the Apostle Paul has to say to us. Secondly, he says, loving one another. And the Greek word for loving here is that word agape. It's spelled A-G-A-P-E. But, you know, the Greeks had four words for love. We only have one. They had a word eros. And you know what we get out of eros? Erotic love, okay? But this other word for love means this. It's the love that God has for you. I just love you just like you are. And I'll give myself wholeheartedly to you. And you don't have to do anything back. I just love you because I choose to love you. I'm going to make my life meaningful by serving you. You know, these last seven months when my wife has been through this whole cancer thing, I really have gotten out of myself. And I did get up early in the morning and go with her to the radiation treatments. And I did all these things. But I'm living with this woman who's thrown her guts up because she's gone through chemotherapy and all that kind of stuff. And in the middle of that, worrying about trying to make sandwiches and food for me to eat. We have both figured out what it means to say, without reservation, I'm going to serve you. And folks... If there's anything in this whole message that's a key to, to making your romantic relationship work out or your friendship in the office at work work out, but we're talking about love and romance here, if there's a key to it, it's coming to a place where you learn to say, without clinging to any of my rights or any of that, I'm just willing to serve you. And suddenly you're going to find something that starts to really get perking. And, and the weirdest thing about it is you're the one that gets rewarded the most for doing that. When you lay your life down like that, something good happens inside of you. Then he says, work together with one heart and purpose. I'd like you to circle the word purpose. And somewhere I'd like you to write the word God's next to it. God's purpose. What's God's purpose for your life? What's God's purpose for your marriage? I mean, God's purpose for any marriage for sure is that your children turn out successful. You know, what's God's purpose in your dating relationship? The person you're dating might not be the person that you're supposed to marry. What's God's purpose in a temporary relationship that you, you might be in for a few months and then it gets over? What, does God have a plan? What is God's purpose in your life? What is God's purpose in that other person's life? And what is God's purpose in your life mutually? Because I want you to know that's the thing that will hold you together. That's the thing that will hold you together. When everything else wears out in your life, when everything else gets thin, when the, when the storms of life are just coming on you way faster than you can turn them away and way faster than you can handle them, if you're clinging to whatever it is that is God's perceived purpose in your life, well, then you're going to stand, and you're going to stand firm, and you're going to stand strong. And it's God's purpose that has held my wife and I together. And you don't have to be a pastor to be talking about God's purpose. Remember, we've been talking about the core five purposes. And if, if you weren't here for this, we did a series for seven weeks where we looked at five basic purposes in our life. We read a book. They've got them back there called The Purpose Driven Life. It is this week. It just happened. It became the number one best-selling book in the United States. It's at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. It's been number two for weeks. Now it's the number one best-selling book in the nation. A book that talks about God's purpose in your life. If you don't have it, it's on discount back there. Get it. It'll revolutionize your life. Now let's talk about why is liking selfish. Remember, this message is, is talking about why is it better to love than like. Well, he says, don't be selfish. Let me describe the word selfish. I get into a dating relationship with a woman, and you know why? Because you turn me on, baby. That's all about me. That book, The Purpose Driven Life, it starts out the first sentence in the book. How many of you remember it because we read it together? What's the first sentence in the book? It's not about you. It's not about you. 
And see, if I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, you turn me on, you do this for me, well then what happens when you don't turn me on anymore? What happens when you start to, to, to grow in places you never wanted to grow? <laughs> and to shrink in places you never wanted to shrink? And your hair starts to get a little thin and turns color and, and all of that. What happens at that point? What happens when you're not that light-hearted young person without a care in the world that I used to know and suddenly you're, you're living through life and, and, and the ups and downs of life or you got some pain in your life or some sickness? What happens there? If I'm, if I'm saying you turn me on, what I'm doing is I'm putting you on a performance trip and eventually I'm going to abandon you. And this is what's happened in our world. This is why there's so much brokenheartedness in America and so much abandonment in America because we have not learned love. We've learned like and we've called like love and we just didn't get it does that make sense to you we got to get off the thing of i'm going to love you because you you make me feel good and get onto a thing that says i'm going to love you because i choose to love you and there's something that god has put down deep in my character and it gives me the ability to stay there and do that all the days of our life and then he says don't live to make a good impression on others you know how this works this is the dating game I so dearly wish we could turn the clock back for five minutes here or three minutes and be back in the 1980s. And so I could, I could, give, I could show you a picture of some guy in little tight pants and, and maybe boots, and he's got a big gold chain around his neck, and he's coming up and going, hey, baby, let's do lunch sometime. You know, remember those days? And, uh, and this whole thing, you, you know what? You get in a relationship with somebody and here you are. You know, you, every time you go out on a date, you're sucking your gut in, you guys. And you're trying to, you know, do, do this. Eventually, you can't do that anymore, you know? <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of things, fakey things that we do to make a good impression on the other person. You know, you, you love them. You love the way they look. You love the... I mean, some of... Honestly, ladies, I'll let you in on a little secret. There's some, some part of men that want to be admired by their friends... It's like, I got a new set of golf clubs, aren't I cool? Or I got a new surfboard, look at this. Or I got a new chick, isn't she hot? And you know what that is? That's a male ego trip. That's male bonding. That has nothing to do with males and females. That's guys wanting guys to think, hey man, look at what he caught. You know? And, and, and we'll go through this thing. And so you get some girl on the string, and she, she's really good looking, and this and that. And then she, you go out to dinner, and you're at some nice fancy restaurant because you're trying to put on the dog and impress her. And, and she's saying things that you absolutely can't stand. And you're sitting there going, oh, yeah, me too. Me too. That's why I like that too. You know, that's just really wonderful. And you're thinking, well, as soon as I get the ring on her finger, I'll change her. <laughs> and I got news for you. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Don't live to make a good impression on others. He says, be humble. The word humble means to be low of mind. You know, if you think that you're the most important person in the relationship and your partner thinks they're the most important th person in the relationship, all you can do is clash. You know, so many times people will come and they, they want marital counseling. And, and, and you know, to me, I'm, I'm a terrible counselor. I'm a pretty darn good preacher, I think. I, I, you know, I think I can deliver it when I'm standing up here. But if you come to me for counseling, I'm heartless. I, I mean, I'm just the worst counselor you ever did meet in your life, you know. And it's like somebody will come to me and you can see right off. They're both trying to contend for who's the leader in the relationship. And they're all fussed up and, and they all and they get prideful. I mean, when I had sat through one counseling relationship with these two people. They were quite a bit older than me. And, and, and these two people were in such a contest with each other. Finally, I, I was just sitting in this little chair and I just reached around to the door of the office. And, and it was her that I was the maddest at. She was really dominant. He was too, but you couldn't believe what she was saying. And I just kind of 
turned the doorknob, opened the door, and went. <laughs> and she goes, what are you saying? And I go, I think you catch my drift. And she just got so furious at me. And she got up and stomped out of there. And I never saw her again. You don't want me as your counselor. But I'm here to tell you, this business about humility, here's what it means. You stop comparing your 10 to your partner's 4. And you get it through your head that you're both about a 5 and be happy with it. You understand what I'm saying? Boy, did I marry a loser. Look at me. I deserve better than you. Get off the pedestal and get down to reality. Be low of mind. Think, think smart about yourself and begin to realize you're just a normal person and you're married to a normal person and you're on your way to some kind of success in marriage. Does this make sense? Is this, you know? Well, let's go on here a little bit further. It says, um, Be humble thinking of others as better than yourself. I wrote the word each between the words of and others in my Bible. Because I want to remind myself of this. It says, the way my Bible reads now, it says, think of each other as better than yourself. See, in, in your marriage, if you'll do that, you know, I, I got the best wife in the whole world. I am so pleased to be married to this woman. I've seen her go through this terrible seven-month thing in her life with so much courage and so much uh, valor, if you could use that word. I, I'm just so impressed the way she handled that and handled me, the big baby that she has to live with, in the midst of the whole thing. But if you hear her talk, she's going to tell you that she's the luckiest woman in the world because she married me because I've been there for her and all of that. And if you can get to the place that you will crown your partner, the person you're dating or the person you're married to or whatever, the, the, the person you care about is your friend. As they're the, they're the more important member of this partnership and they're doing the same to you, then this, this is going to work. This is good stuff. He goes on and says, learn, um, what's it say? Uh, verse 4, don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Don't think about your own affairs. I wrote in my Bible, don't just do your own thing. You know, I, we, we have a really cool thing going on in our church right now. There's a lot of ladies that get together that like to do crafts. And they used to come down here on Saturday mornings and do crafts out on the deck out here. And because we got so many Bible studies and stuff going on, there was no other space for them. They outgrew the deck. And now they're in the back of somebody's business down in the mall. There's a, there's a business that's opened up. And there's 50 or 60 ladies that'll show up. And there's people that aren't even from our church down there. And I think it's a healthy and it's a good thing. But I think you could take that thing too far, too. I've been to people's houses where the crafts dominate the house and the stuff is sitting all over the house and there's no room for the husband in the house. You know what I'm talking about here? On the other hand, there are those fishing boats. You know the really big ones? The kind that costs about a million bucks, almost as much as a house payment to have the boat? And, and, and then you've got to have the really expensive fishing reels and... And you got to have the motors rebuilt every so often, and and then you got to have a special vehicle just to tow the thing to the to the to the harbor. And there's that, and 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 here's what I see happen. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. There's nothing wrong. You know, I, I see guys that they just got to have another surfboard, and and the wife can't afford underwear, or they just got to have that new set of golf clubs, and 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 the kids need shoes, and and that, and then it becomes a point of contention. And it becomes a point of selfishness. This is my thing, and I'm going to protect it. And you know what? Someday it's all going to burn. It's all going to go away. And before that happens, i got news for you. Someday you're going to get bored with the darn thing. 
I have a kayak that I just had to have. I mean, I lay awake nights just dreaming about this thing. I just had to have it. It has laid up against the side of my house for three years now, <laughs> except for the times that my son wants to use it with the youth group and borrows it and takes it out someplace. You know? You're going to get bored with it. So, 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 so this is just wisdom here. Don't get so hooked up on your own stuff that you do it to the hurt of somebody that you're supposed to be in love with. It says that you should, not only that you should not get all hooked up on your own stuff, but it says be interested in others too and what they're doing. Have you ever seen these families that get so, that they, they don't talk to each other anymore? They, 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 the guy comes in and he's got to watch the news rather than listen to his wife. And, 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 you know, and she's got her thing that she's doing and nobody's even listening to each other. You know, I used to get in this thing where my idea of a vacation was that we would go someplace. My, it's, we're always different about vacations. She wants to go some interesting place and, and go around and see stuff. I want to go someplace and sit and camp out and read. And we've learned to compromise that. But my idea used to be, if I could go to the Elikai, then we could you know, go stay down there, sit over there and go out on that deck and get a little table, get the biggest cinnamon roll that they got and a, and a large cup of coffee, and I would buy four newspapers. I'd buy a Wall Street Journal, I'd buy a USA Today, I'd buy a Los Angeles Times, and I'd buy a Honolulu Advertiser, and I'd spend the whole morning having a good time. And my wife is sitting there with me, spending the whole morning, she's pretending she's having a good time because she's a good wife. And one day, I was teaching through this scripture in this church, and all of a sudden, I'm talking about listening to each other because I'm sitting there, she's trying to talk to me, and I'm grunting while I'm reading the newspaper, and all of a sudden, I got it. And I realized, I'm abusing my wife. I'm abusing my wife. I don't listen to what she has to say. I don't talk to her. I get off into my own world, and I do it in a dozen different ways. And I repented of that. The word repent doesn't mean you get all sorrowful. It just means you turn around. And I, made it, I, and I went to her and I said, I promise you that when we go to breakfast, I won't read the newspaper anymore. And it's not just that. It's, it's that if she comes in and I'm trying to watch the news, I'll, I'll, I'll turn the thing on mute or I'll turn it off. I care about my wife and I care about what she has to say and I want her in my life. Is this making sense? I got caught yesterday. I went to Dunkin' Donuts in Kailua. They got little tables outside. and So we did a deal. I went in to buy some fruit in the grocery store. She went into Dunkin' Donuts and got us loaded up. And we sat outside and enjoyed the sunny morning. And I had told this story at church on Friday night. And, and, and a guy from church comes over and he sees us. And, and he sits there and then he finally he goes, Well, Pastor Ralph, I can see that you practice what you preach. You're not reading the newspaper at breakfast. <laughs> Are you just listening? Now, is this good advice that we got here this morning? Hey, I want to point out to you that this is some of the best advice you're ever going to get about how to make a dating relationship work, how to make a marriage work, or how to make any other kind of a relationship work. And we've gotten it out of about that much of the Bible. It's not like we read some whole book on how to get along and how to make your love life work. We've read a tiny, teeny little bit of Scripture. But watch this, because here's the key to the whole thing. We're going to wrap it up with this. The question is, how does the cross of Christ relate to romance? Well, here's how, in a nutshell. Without the Lord in your life, you can't live this way. That's why people don't. That's why there's a 60% divorce rate in some of the cities in America. Because without God's help in your life, you are incapable of a kind of love that says, I'll absolutely give myself away to you. You just can't do it. You need God. This is where the hookup to Easter comes in. Watch what it says. Your attitude should be the same 
that Christ Jesus had. You should be thinking like Jesus. You can only do that if you've invited him into your life and into your heart and you've got the ability now to think like Jesus. Notice what it says about him. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. It says he did not cling to his rights as God. When God the Father came to Jesus the Son, the co-creators of heaven, and God said, those people down there that we created have turned against us. And Jesus lamented it along with the Father. And the Father said, I want to send you on a mission. And I want you to do two things. I want you to go there and show them how much I love them. I want you to let them know that the God in heaven is not angry with them. That he loves them in spite of their bad behavior. He loves them in spite of their rebellion toward him. And Jesus came and he did all these miracles. And if you read it, if you took time to read the Gospels, you'd see the people, only people Jesus ever got mad at in the whole New Testament were the religious people who were trying to put the rules on people. The very thing that people accused Jesus of is, is the thing that he was maddest about, is, is the people who were trying to force rules on other people. Jesus was mad with those people. And he was coming to, to tell people, God loves you. He wants to set you free. He was healing people. He was putting relationships together. That was, that was the first part of the mission, to display the love of God. The second part of the mission was, those people are going to turn against you even though you go to them in love. And they're going to kill you, and they're going to kill you in a cruel way. And when they do so, then I'm going to accept your death as a cancellation of payment for the guilt of all those people who've dishonored me by turning their back on me if they'll simply accept the offer of my forgiveness and my love. And it says here that Jesus did not demand and cling to his rights as God. If you learn to be like Jesus and inside of your relationship stop demanding and clinging to your rights, you're going to find yourself living like Jesus in that relationship and good things are going to happen in that relationship. If you'll stop demanding your rights, 50% of the fights in your house will stop. And if your, your spouse will stop demanding their rights, the other 50% will stop. And if you're dating, thing works the same way. Is this making sense? Well, it goes on and says that Jesus made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He, he even went to the point of dying the shameful death on a cross. And then it says, because of this, my question is, what do you get out of truly loving someone? Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to know that you're not alone in church today. I want you to understand there's two billion people around the planet today. Two billion. A little more than two billion. They're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we feel like we're in the minority in America. The church is booming in Latin America. It's growing like crazy in Asia. In Central Asia, the church is growing. We've started 73 churches in Pakistan since 9-11 happened in a Muslim country. Those guys are over there praising the Lord that during the war in Iraq, they didn't get one of their members killed because every time the U.S. rattles its sabers a little bit, they start attacking the Christians. And our churches over there, I got an email yesterday, nobody's been killed, nobody's been physically attacked. Praise the Lord. And the church is growing in Pakistan. We're not alone in this. People around the world are worshiping Jesus. Why do you think so? Why do you think so? I mean, if you know, there's so much teaching today. Oh, he was a good man. He was a nice religious leader and all that. Well, you don't worship somebody like that. Nobody worships Albert Einstein. He was a great guy. Nobody worships George Washington. He was a great guy. 
Why do they worship Jesus? Well, the difference is this. His disciples, who were all absolutely destroyed when they saw him hanging on that cross. See, they misunderstood him. They thought he was a, they knew he was a spiritual leader, but they thought he was more of a political leader than he was, and he was going to overthrow the Roman government. And, and when the Romans hung him on a cross and killed him, they thought they had bet on the wrong pony. And they were just devastated. And they took his body off the cross, and they loved him, they cared for him. They must have tried to feel his pulse and hope he was still alive or something like that. But the Romans were convinced he was dead, because they always broke your legs if they thought you were still alive hanging on the cross. So you'd really be done in, and they didn't do that. They stuck a big hole in the side with a spear, and they were convinced he's dead. His disciples went and they wrapped him up like a mummy. And they put all his spices, like plaster almost, in between the grave wrappings. And they put him in the tomb, and, and they went away. And the Romans rolled a, a, a rock that would weigh about two and a half tons in front of that, that door. They had to use levers and a bunch of guys, and, and that's the way they sealed that tomb up. They didn't want anybody in there. They put a guard on the, on the thing, a bunch of guys. And two, three days later, the disciples came out, just to, as a gathering place to go to the, where the tomb of Jesus was because they were going to go feel bad together. And they get there and the rocks rolled away. And the soldiers are gone. And the Bible says they go inside the tomb and two very weird things are going on. First is, there's two great big dudes in white and their clothes glow in the dark. <laughs> and they go, he's not here. He's risen. Go back to town. He'll meet you there. And it's like, ah! And then they just happen to notice that the mummy clothes... The Bible says, are laying there undisturbed. Undisturbed. Now, you wrap somebody up, right? And you got all kind of those sweet-smelling spices or like plaster gunking it all up. And you're going to take the body out. The clothes don't stay undisturbed. Somehow he got out. Freaked them out. When they first met him, they didn't recognize him because he looked normal. He still had the nail holes in his hands. But he didn't look like, oh, I've been beat to death. You know? They're blown away. For 40 days, they hung out with him. They ate food with him. So they knew he wasn't a ghost because they didn't see the fish laying around in his stomach, you know? <laughs> they knew he was alive. Those people went out and preached that message to the world. And because they did, over 2 billion people today are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of those 11 men, one of them died in exile because of, he kept saying that he believed that Jesus was alive. The other 10 were murdered by the government because they would not stop saying that they knew that Jesus was alive. And then 2,000 years later, somebody says, well, they stole the body and hid it away someplace. No, no, no. You don't die for a lie. You don't die for a lie. This resurrection deal is real. If you look at it through the, through the, the laws of evidence, you prove. There's a book back here called The Case for Christ. There's this guy in, in Chicago. He was a reporter for Chicago Tribune. He, he married a woman he thought would change. She was a Christian. He thought he could change her. And she stayed a Christian. And so he decided to research Christianity so he could disprove it to his wife. And he became a Christian in the process. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ. And he goes into the whole legal thing. And he, he interviews some legal scholars. And they're going, he rose. That's where Easter comes in. Because he rose, and because he can live in your heart, he can change you. And you can learn what it really means to love somebody. Am I getting anywhere with this? But it says, because Jesus humbled himself, God raised him. Not only raise him from the dead, but to a place where people are going to honor him. And here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you're willing to be like Jesus and humble yourself and lay your life down for the person that you're supposed to love, that person will honor you. And that person will cling to you. And that person will elevate you in their life. And they will honor you all the days of their life. And you do not have to face growing old, being alone and scared and nervous about life. 
that person will be there and they'll stand with you. And that's what love is all about. Does that make sense? Well, let's close this with prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning and we love looking in your Bible because it gives us hope. Lord, it gives us hope of a better tomorrow and a better day after that and a better old age, Lord. It gives us hope that the person that we love will love us and stick with us and that our life will really amount to something under your purposes. And God, this morning, as we, as, as we try to assemble the wisdom that we've read in the Scripture, what we would like to just say is, as we go out of here, remind me of these words. Lord, teach me what it means to love like you love, to lay my life down completely for somebody else, to humble myself in front of that person that I love and, and to make them first in my life and, and to have the attitude that Jesus had. And, and, and then, Lord, reward me for that. Let me come out having the joy of a life that works, a life that's successful. Lord, bless me in my love life. Bless me in my love life. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe.